We all know that relationships grow and shift over time. And in fact, our relationships go through a cycle of development much like we do when we're children and we grow and change over time. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how to spot where your relationship is on the development cycle, the development path. And we're also going to talk about some really practical strategies for helping you get unstuck no matter what stage you're at. But first, you may or may not know this, but part of how we keep Relationship Alive going is through the contributions of listeners just like you. So if you're finding Relationship Alive to be helpful, please consider a donation to help support the podcast. To choose something that feels right for you, all you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash support, or just text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And this week, I would like to thank Lara, Cynthia, Kirk, Bin, and Amanda. Thank you all so much for your generous support of the Relationship Alive podcast. Now, the past couple weeks, I've been asking if you wouldn't mind just filling out a little survey. It's an anonymous survey so that I can find out a little bit more about you. And so far, the, the responses have been coming in and they are very interesting. Some of the things are things I would have expected and some of the things are things I definitely would not have expected. If you wouldn't mind just taking three minutes out of your day to fill out the survey, again, it's anonymous, just visit neilsatin.com slash survey, or you can text the word wondering to the number 33444 and follow the instructions because I am wondering about you. And one thing that I'm wondering right now is whether or not you would like a way to improve the communication in your relationship. And if you're interested, I put together a free guide for you to my top three relationship communication secrets. Now, these aren't the only things that you can do to improve communication in your relationship. But if you do these three things, then it will help you stay connected with your partner, no matter how challenging the thing is that you want to talk to them about. In order to download this guide, again, it is free. All you have to do is visit neilsatin.com slash relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. So there are so many options there for you. There's support to support the podcast, uh, survey to tell me a little bit about you, or um, I guess you're texting the word wondering, um, or there's relate if you want to improve your communication for free. All it takes is a few minutes of your time to read the guide. Easy peasy. One last thing. If you're on Facebook and haven't found us yet, come join the Relationship Alive community. 
It's a safe space there on Facebook where you can connect with other people who listen to the Relationship Alive podcast and talk about whatever's going on for you. And we are focused on having very positive, helpful, generative conversations to help you thrive in your connections. So again, that's the Relationship Alive community on Facebook, and I will see you there. All right, I think that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Your relationship is going to grow and change. The question is, will you stay on track for things to get better and better, where your relationship supports you in being the best version of yourself, or will you veer off track and get stuck along the way? And if you do get stuck, how do you get unstuck? Today's guests have charted the course of how relationships develop. In fact, they created the developmental model for working with couples. Their names are Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson. And you may remember them from their, their last visit, way back in episode 24, where they were discussing why people lie in relationships and how to get back to a culture of honesty in your connection. If you're interested in that episode, you can visit neilsatin.com slash lies to listen to it. Along with working with lots of couples over the years, Ellen and Peter also train couples therapists, and they are among the leaders in the field of helping couples therapists become more effective in how they help couples do better. Their book, In Quest of the Mythical Mate, is a classic in the field of couples therapy that has stood the test of time, unlike many other books that have come and gone. Today, we're going to talk about getting unstuck and ensuring that no matter what's going on in your relationship, that you and your partner are on the same team. If you are interested in downloading a detailed transcript of today's show, please visit neilsatin.com slash development, or you can always text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. We have lots of ground to cover today, so let's dive right in. Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson, thank you both so much for joining us again here on Relationship Alive. Uh, it's good to be here, Neil. Yeah, real happy to be with you again, Neil. Awesome. Yes. It's been a while since episode 24, which was when we last spoke. We're, we're now in the 150s here. So, Oh, real, my goodness. I know. I know. Um, so, Pete, we were just talking and, and we were talking about the, um, you know, before we started officially, we were talking about this question about what people do when they get triggered. And, and you said, you know, that's not the most important question for people to be asking. Um, and so I'm curious from your perspective, what, what is the most important question that people should be asking? Here's what's interesting, Neil, in just about every couple that we see, uh, a couple will get an insight into where they're stuck, how they're stuck and or why they're stuck. And the next question almost inevitably is, well, what do we do about it? And that's an understandable question. And I used to think, oh, they're asking me for advice. I'll give them advice about what to do right now. 
And then they will leave. They will practice what I just uh, expressed. They will come back and they will be on bended knee thanking me for my wisdom, intelligence, smarts, etc. What I discovered is, and they say, God, you're so wonderful. What other advice do you have? And we're going to tell all our friends about you because you're so smart. Well, that what I discovered was didn't happen that often. <laughs> but yet they asked, what do we do about it? And then I discovered that what do we do about it is a good question, but it's a premature question. The really the question that comes before is how motivated are you to do something about it? See, it it, it with it takes a strong motivation, a bigger picture uh, that pulls us forward. And that bigger picture, that stronger motivation is what allows us to unhook from those triggers. And if the motivation is puny, then no matter what I say that could be effective will not be applied. Yeah, we had uh, David Burns on the show and he was talking about how surprised he often is that when it gets right down to it, a lot of couples that he's worked with are actually aren't willing to change there. Even though they're coming okay. to couples therapy there, they they would prefer being stuck where they are versus whatever's required to, to change the direction. Well, I think that's true for one part of them. Here's what I mean. And I think the dilemma of change was summed up brilliantly by James Baldwin, the playwright and writer, when he said, Nothing is more desirable than to be relieved of our affliction. And that's the motivation that brings couples into therapy. Nothing is more desirable than to be relieved of our affliction. And nothing is more terrifying than to be divested of our crutch. And that, may, and that I interpret as nothing is more terrifying than to be divested of our coping mechanisms. Mm our self-protections. So couples are in a terrible bind. They want to be relieved of their affliction, yes. And it's terrifying to be divested of their coping mechanisms. Yeah, and you you speak also in your work about the importance of both people recognizing that that there's something in it for them, whatever it is that they're experiencing. Um, I'm thinking right now of the example you give of people, and we'll explain this a little bit more as we go, but people who are in a, um, a symbiotic and practicing relationship where one of them is is working to be more independent and from the other, and the other one is like, no, come back here, like be with me. And it creates all of this tension and conflict and it's easy for the, the practicing partner to overlook the fact that they actually benefit a lot from that symbiotic welcome home that they get from their partner, even though it's confounding them in their quest for independence. I can speak about that type of couple, but did, Neil, was there a, did you have a question there? Okay, good point. Um, yeah, so the, the question in there, I think it was more of an observation that this is a, a situation where people are are invested in the problem are invested in the crutch as Pete was talking about so what are some strategy strategies you have for helping people become aware of their role or of the crutch that that they have in the moment even if they think for instance that something is all about their partner's problem so I think what you're asking is first of all 
at least to me, it's like, how, how do, how does a person take a look at what they're doing that's getting in their own way? Yeah. And can you get some acknowledgement that a particular thing somebody is doing is actually getting in their own way of being able to realize the dreams that brought them together or being able to accomplish something they want to accomplish? Uh, so there's the question of, okay, what are some things you do to help somebody realize it? So that's one piece. Then the second piece is what Pete was talking about is, um, can you can you lay out what it's going to take to change it and then increase motivation? Or is there motivation to actually do the work or put in the effort? And then certainly you want the couple to be able to collaborate and work together on that process of change so that they are reinforcing each other as they go through what is challenging and difficult for them to do. So when you can get all three of those things really solidly in place, you're going to have a couple that's motivated and working with you in the therapy process. When any one of those things is missing, you're going to have a much harder time and therapists often report having sessions that are repetitive and seem to go nowhere and the couple comes in week after week with the same fight or the same dynamic. So I think you have to look at all three of those and make sure that you've got them all in place. Yeah. Where where do you feel would be a great place to start? I mean, what's popping into my mind immediately is your concept of developing a strong future focus for a couple based on where they are uh, developmentally. Well, see, that's that's an important place when you uh, when we start to figure out the steps for change. But to get people to own their part, uh, I find now is what I do in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the first session uh, is to have people own their part. But I do it in a rather indirect way. Uh, it's, it's like it's traditional for most therapists when a couple comes in for the first session to ask, why are you here or how can I help? And at that point, most couples launch a barrage of cross complaints about, well, I'm here because my partner is insensitive, they're a slob, they're not affectionate, they're not responsible, they don't follow through, et cetera, et cetera. And so they trade, uh, they trade blames. And then after a few minutes, everybody in the room is feeling miserable because I know that because I've been there so many times. And then I found there's a much better way to, un to get to the bottom of what they struggle with without any blame at all. And I will say to them, uh, it's typical for most therapists to ask when we start uh, the first meeting is to say, why are you here? I say, I don't want to do that because it just ends up everybody blaming everybody. So what I'd like to do is ask you guys a diagnostic question. And it lets me know how well you've been listening to each other, which also lets me know how hard you're going to have to work in here. So, Joe, tell me, what do you think are Sue's major complaints about you are? And Sue, what do you think Joe's major complaints about you are? And it doesn't matter who goes first because you both get a chance uh, to express that. And at that point, Joe will say, well, Sue will say that I'm too preoccupied with my devices. I don't spend enough time with the family. I don't call if I'm going to be home for work. Uh, I just and I want affection without being nice during the day or the evening. 
And then I'll say, oh, man, those sound really good, Joe. What else? And he says, well, I think she thinks I I don't I, I'm not very careful with the money. And I'll say dynamite. Those are good. Joe, how confident are you on a scale of one to ten that Sue's going to say you nailed it? And Joe will say, well, about a seven or eight. And then I'll say, are there as what those complaints you just mentioned, is there some legitimacy to her complaints? And he'll say, well, yeah, but I don't go into detail. See, at that point, and then I'll say, so, Sue, how how good has he been doing? Well, he's been listening. Uh, frankly, I think he's, he's, he's listened better than I thought. I'd give him about a seven or eight on that or maybe even a nine. Sue, do you have any appreciation for Joe listening so well to you? Now, why he hasn't done anything is why you guys are here. But is there a part of you that appreciates that at least he's been listening? And she'll say, well, yeah, well, tell him, Joe, I didn't know you listened so well. Thank you for listening. So instead of being defensive, now they're collaborating and giving each other compliments. And each of them, when they do that, have just laid out what the problems are by owning their stuff instead of having their partner do it for them. Almost nobody, Neil, nobody wants to meet somebody and within 10 minutes start being ripped by their spouse about all their fault, flaws and faults. All that does is create shame, embarrassment and guilt. Mm. But doing it this way, people claim their stuff for themselves. I don't have to work as hard. I get to understand the problems and the atmosphere in the room is a whole lot better. Yeah, I can see how that would get things started off on the right foot, both with get, giving you a sense of what's going on for them and how well they listen and also the degree to which they're able to see their part or take responsibility for at least what they think their partner is is uh, complaining about with them. Do exactly, you... and that can all be done in the first 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's perfect. I'm curious, do you still, you talk about the paper exercise in your book, the In Quest of the, of the Mythical Mate. Um, do you still do that exercise with couples? Actually, you're right where I was going to go because that exercise is an absolutely fabulous exercise because in five minutes, a therapist can see and then can help feedback to the couple uh, where they break down. It's an exercise that's designed to help help you and couples uh, and a, a concept that we talk a lot about is the concept of differentiation. And when basically the way the exercise goes is the therapist hands the couple a piece of paper and asks them to hold it between them and gives them up to five minutes to decide who gets to hold the paper without ripping or tearing it. They can do it verbally. They can do it non-verbally. They can do it any way they like. But at the end of five minutes, decide who has the paper. And then you get to sit back as the therapist, you get to sit back and watch for five minutes. And then in watching, you're going to be giving the couple feedback about how they do. And the exercise, I mean, I, I can give you a few, you know, highlights right now. It's, it's a very wonderfully sophisticated exercise for getting to leverage stuck places in couples relationships. But I mean, you're looking for whether people self-define, whether they avoid conflict, whether they're able to go into the conflict, whether they have skills to negotiate and move a conflict forward. And so when you can talk to a couple about, hey, 
here's what I saw. Does this make sense? Here's what I think each of you did that was positive and great and effective. And here's where I think you're stuck or here's where I see you getting stalled. And usually what you see in terms of how couples are getting stalled in that exercise are similar to what they do at home that prevents them from solving problems or sets them up to be angry at each other. And and it's a very non-threatening, very sort of collaborative process that you can get into with couples when you do that exercise with them. Pete and Ellen, I just need to take a quick break here to talk about today's sponsors. They have really cool things that they're offering, and they have a special offer for you for being a Relationship Alive listener. Now, you might know that last Friday was my first wedding anniversary with my wife, Chloe, and I wanted to do something really special for her. At about that time, I also heard about this company called Songfinch that creates custom songs made to order for special occasions in your life. So I gave them a try to see if they could create a song that felt like it was special enough to be my gift for Chloe on our wedding anniversary. Now, since Songfinch is one of today's sponsors, you know that it was an experiment that went well. The way it works is that you tell them what the occasion is, what emotions you'd like your song to evoke, and what genre of music you'd like. And then you tell them a little bit about your story. And their songs aim to bring your story to life. So here's an example. I told them about how Chloe and I met in a dance class, which is something you've maybe heard on the show before, and how at one point when we had broken up, we had this dance together in front of everyone else in the class. And afterwards, several of our friends were like, what are you doing breaking up? You guys are so obviously good together. So this is just one example of something that I told Songfinch because that's a special moment that I remember when I think back on some of the special moments in our relationship. Well, the song that they came back with was amazing. the rest of the song at the end of today's episode so you can hear the whole thing. All I can say is I'm really impressed. Their songwriter did an amazing job weaving together so many important details into something that made us smile and laugh and cry in a good way on our anniversary day. And Chloe has a very refined taste in music. So it was really cool to see her light up like that as well. They also make it really easy for you to create a slideshow to go along with your song, which I also put some time into. So all this is to say that I think a Songfinch song would be a really inspired gift to give to someone special in your life. 
So check them out at songfinch.com so you can hear what they do. They offer songs starting at $99, and if you choose to do a song from scratch, which is what I did, as a Relationship Alive listener, they are giving you $20 off if you use the coupon code ALIVE20. That's the word ALIVE and the number 20. So visit songfinch.com and use the coupon code ALIVE20 for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. And thank you so much, Songfinch, for sponsoring this week's episode of Relationship Alive. What I loved about your reading your book was not only the recognition that I had about like, oh, okay, yeah, that I recognize having been in a relationship that was stuck in this place or that place and you know, let's before we go too too much further, we'll we'll define them so that people know what we're talking about. Um, but I also love how I think it's easy to like, let's say a cup, someone hears this and they're like, well, I'm going to try that with my partner. Let's grab this paper and see if we can figure it out. Um, and then for some reason they can't or they have a huge eruption or are at an impasse to feel like, wow, we must be really horrible as a, as a couple because we couldn't even do this paper exercise right um, but what I love is that it just is simply a way of getting insight into where you are, but that each place where you might be stuck simply represents a place where you need to grow and growing past that place gives you a pathway to a new, a new level of intimacy and being able to handle conflict better and being able to stand really strongly in who you are while still enjoying intimacy with your partner. Oh, absolutely. And see, one of the things that I think is so valuable about it is that it's easy when you're in the midst of it with your partner and you're like going home after work and you're having fights or you're not getting along well on weekends or you're fighting over disciplining the kids. It's easy to think you have a whole lot of problems. But when you can find kind of the leveraged place, the, the place that repeats and you learn how to do that differently, then you start doing it differently in all the different areas that you have conflict. So you don't actually always have to go back and solve every single problem that you think you have if you change the process of how you talk and the process of how you approach things that are stressful. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, How much... Do you feel like awareness, before we dive into it briefly, of the developmental model, how much do you think that awareness is helpful for a couple to be able to see, like, okay, this is this is what the span of how couples develop looks like, and this is where we're at? Is it is that enlightening or confining or from a couple's uh, perspective versus the therapist's perspective? I can tell you what the therapists in my online training program report. And so I have therapists who work with me, basically, who are in countries all over the world. And many of them report that their clients feel relieved when they see the process. Um, You know, we have little brochures that we use and that a lot of therapists give to their clients, which lay out the stages. And Sometimes they'll send a couple home to look at it and figure out where they are. Sometimes they'll just talk about it. But when couples can see, hey, there is kind of a normal progression that a lot of relationships go through. And 
either we're right on track, which is sometimes the case, or, hey, we got stuck here and this is what our challenge is so that we can move forward. And what we all always say is when couples get unstuck, then they can get back into their own developmental process. They don't need a therapist all the way through their whole development. Right. So would you be willing or I mean, I could do this, too, but because um, I don't want to put you on the spot completely, but to give sort of the the two to three minute overview of what are we talking about? The, the developmental stages that a couple goes through. Uh, so the quick version is two people meet, they fall in love in the ideal world. Everything is beautiful, wonderful. Uh, they have that incredible falling in love period. Uh, which I sometimes call a period of temporary psychosis. Uh, But it's a period in which there's bonding and attachment. And uh, not everybody starts that way, but a lot of couples do. And then it's normal by about two years into the relationship, sometimes a little sooner, sometimes a little longer. But it's very, very normal to hit a period of disillusionment when the partner is taken off that pedestal and instead of being seen as wonderful, all of a sudden the flaws start to show up. And that disillusionment period is is normal. And then what people ha- have to contend with is how do we work out who are you and who am I given that we not only have parts of ourselves and each other that we love, but parts of each other that we find sometimes disgusting or we don't really want to be around or we don't like or, and that's all normal. And, but what's hard for couples is to learn how to manage those differences effectively instead of ineffectively. You know, when they handle it ineffectively, they start to blame, accuse, or withdraw, and then they get into some negative patterns. But so the second stage of relationship is a stage of differentiation. It's a stage in which partners do learn how to come to terms with their differences. When that goes well, actually people are able to have a lot more independence than they had in the first two stages because there's a base of connection and a base of, hey, we, we know how to solve things, we solve them well, and then they can be out in the world more, they can be doing more independent things, enjoying um, other things that they're bringing back to help nourish the relationship. And so there's a often a period in which that can go on for many, many years in which each partner is developing their own self-esteem apart from how the relationship is faring. And um, then at some point, often there's a period of reconnection or of returning to the relationship as a source of greater nurturance. and uh, And often couples at this time tend to Uh, focus more on their sexual relationship or on different aspects of intimacy when they're reconnecting. And many couples who get through all of this end up wanting to create something together. And so we even talk about a last stage being a synergistic stage, a stage in which one plus one is really greater than two and they support each other in ways or goals or projects that are meaningful to both of them. So that's a very quick version of 
uh, sometimes what I teach in a whole morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking back to how you mentioned that you're working a lot with entrepreneurial couples these days. And, and I'm curious to know how you draw a distinction between couples who are working together from a, a synergistic place that one plus one is more than two um, versus couples who are coming at that from a more uh, enmeshed place where they're they're not you know it's about just not being able to be without each other um, i'm just thinking neil what a great question if couples want to start working together and they haven't been able to work out yet how to manage their differences or their disillusionments Boy, are they going to, are they in for a wild ride? If you think about all the different areas of interdependence that, that couples have uh, when they're not even working together, where they have the areas of interdependency are family and friends and finances and fitness and food and fidelity and faith. And, and man, there are a lot of F words in an interdependent relationship. <laughs> And each one of those areas require a set of negotiation, problem solving skills and working together. And then you add all those areas of interdependency with all the areas of interdependency at work when they're working together. What what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, so the 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 problems just are geometric when you work with your partner, your spouse, and yet more and more couples are working together. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there on the internet or doing franchise operations and their spouses involved. And that just really doubles the opportunity to collide. It also doubles the opportunity to synergize your um, strengths and abilities. So it really, it, the, the push and pull is enormous uh, to deal with the differences. And it's, it's uh, sometimes I will say, I will ask couples, would you want to be married to a personality clone of yourself? Most couples say no. And I say, well, why is that? And the, the categories generally fall into, well, if I married to a clone of myself, if I married a clone, it would be like World War III. Or if I married a clone of myself, it'd be really interesting, but nothing would get accomplished. Uh, and as one woman said, I would have all my problems times two. <laughs> and so the good news is they're smart enough to know that differences can enhance a relationship, but the same differences can also corrode a relationship. But we, we want to marry somebody who is different. And that's the good news and the bad news. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking too about how time being such a, a limiting resource in many respects with everything that people are trying to accomplish in today's world. Um, and, and so I could see that providing incentive for people to want to work together as a way to actually maybe be able to spend more time together. Right. And, and yet from, from what you're saying, I also gather like, wow, it, so it is so important in that case to, to be able to identify, 
oh, here we are not handling conflict very productively. And, and here are all the signs of that, whether it's increased resentment or, um, increased, um, it just increased conflict that, that gets explosive versus actually resolving. And, and that comes from what you're talking about, right, Ellen? That, that sense of like, have you, have you differentiated effectively enough so that you can stand in, in who you are, but, but actually meet the other person as a, as a whole person unto themselves and, and, and have a, a collaborative way as, uh, being on the same team as you, as you navigate those places where you're not in alignment. Yeah. One of the things, Neil, that I find um, really interesting, as I said, I've started doing some more work with entrepreneurs and their spouses. And particularly, I love working with the couples who are fairly new to going into business together, because one of the things that um, they know they have a ton at stake, because if they don't make it, their business is going to have problems or have to be split up as well as their marriages or their committed partnerships. And so they actually have, in some cases, a much higher motivation to get it right at the beginning. And also, sometimes it's easier for people to get the concept that in business, our roles and responsibilities need to be really clearly defined. And that's also true on the home front with a lot of couples, but couples don't tend to think about it that way. They tend to think about it as, well, if our relationship is good, everything will just go smoothly and we can move back and forth smoothly. Right. It all just works itself out. Exactly. And so they don't, that's you the know, hope. right. That's the hope and the belief that it should be easy. Um, but yet, when you have clearly defined roles, it mitigates a lot of conflict. So, uh, so I love that. So one potential option, if you're having trouble motivating to actually change is to start a business together. Well, except <laughs> if your relationship is a mess, it's not a great time to start a business together. You'll have all your problems times two. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding but uh, but it does bring us back to that that question of of how you get people to buy in to to like okay how, this is actually going to require something of me um to to create change in our relationship yeah and you know i mean most people who have worked in the workplace understand that there are different roles and responsibilities that come with a job and they've been in jobs where, you know, they've had people on a team who are doing different aspects of the work. And so it, that they've had that experience and it makes logical sense. But then when they go home and they think there's just two of us, they don't think about saying, okay, you know, who's responsible for, you know, organizing childcare? Who's responsible for our finances or are, is somebody paying the bills and somebody else doing the investments is who's responsible for cooking dinner on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or does somebody always cook and somebody always clean up and they get into patterns, but often it's not really clearly delineated. Right. So is there a process that like if, if I'm listening to this and thinking, Oh, 
you know, some of those things we haven't actually figured out. Or I wonder if we've differentiated effectively. How could I how could I diagnose myself and or our relationship to know if that's if that's happened or not? Well, the easy way to know that has happened, Neil, is what does my partner do that annoys me? And when you start from a place of what does my partner do that annoys me and what area of stuff around the house? I would bet that it's because you haven't clearly delineated and agreed upon the roles and responsibilities of that area. Hmm. You kind of couples kind of normally fall into those patterns and kind of like happenstance, but there's a lot of slippage uh, and a lot of boundary confusion or unclarity about who is really responsible for what and who gets the deciding vote in that area. And that's when our annoyances almost always come from expectations. My partner is not meeting my expectations. So the annoyances have to do with expectations of partners that haven't been clarified very well or agreed upon. Yeah. Or, or, um, assumptions that you're making. Assumptions. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious for, um, for couples who say, think, well, you know, generally it works out okay, but whenever we try to have that conversation, it doesn't go so well, like either. And that could be an explosive argument or it could be, I just always have to give in because, you know, we can't have that conversation. What are some ways that you offer couples to, to help them have that conversation in a way that's more generative? And, you know, you talk about, um, I think you talk about fighting fairly or, or, or conflict. I can't remember the exact phrase that you use, but agreements around how you, how you have conflict. Well, before we even go there, let's say that when couples are trying to negotiate, they make some mistakes. And one of the big mistakes that people make is caving in too quickly. And they don't realize that when they hit that place of tension, that's actually the place where it's important to be able to stay with it a while longer Mm. and figure something out and not see that tension as something bad, but see that tension as where their growth edge actually is. Um, And so, you know, um, it's a long story and we won't go into all the details, but Pete and I talk about many years ago when we ran workshops together, how um, we reached a point of conflict and where we each wanted something very different And it took a full year to sort it out and a full year of actually having to work with the tension until we came to something that worked for both of us and enabled us to keep working together because otherwise we would have had too much conflict and not been able to continue working together and running workshops together. So, um, you know, people think they should get through stuff faster sometimes than it's actually possible. And the process of getting through it is a process where both you get to know yourself better and you get to know your partner better if you can stay curious about why something matters to your partner, stay curious about why is it so important to you, learning how to ask really good questions, learning how not to cave too fast. So there's many different capacities that are involved in successfully differentiating and successfully managing conflict 
that get strengthened. The emotional muscle gets built as couples go through that together. Yeah. Yeah. So I could almost see, like, for instance, if you sense that your partner is just caving in because you're about you're, you've hit that point of tension to have the willingness to say like, no, like I like I don't want to just get my way here. Like, let's let's figure out a way to have to have this conversation as long as is required. Right, right. And, you know, people who tend to be very active and assertive often end up with partners who are a bit more passive than they themselves are. And for a while, it may work to let the passive, more passive person just cave in. But then over time, instead of having clear roles and responsibilities, what you actually have is the active person doing way, 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 way more and the other person doing less and resentment building. Mm. So you, you need to be able to stop that caving in process early. Yeah, yeah. What's, um, so maybe we could talk briefly about a structure for that could be helpful for people when they when they realize they're at this place, a point of tension, that's where they tend to get stuck. What might hey, be? Hey, I have an idea. Ellen, I have an idea. Neil, if we could post somewhere where your listeners could go to and get a four page document called Super Negotiation for Couples. Love it. It's a it's a really step by step process for how to negotiate and how to avoid the two big problems of negotiation, which is either caving in too quickly or pushing yourself too hard to get what you want at the expense of the other. And I can give you a link where your listeners could go and get that document. Yeah, that would be great if it's if it's easy. And we can always post it in the, you know, in the transcript of the show. Oh, that well. would be great. But it, very quickly, and then we'll send you the link and it can be posted in the transcript. But it's couplesinstitute.com forward slash blog and then in the blog it's super negotiation for couples couplesinstitute.com forward slash blog and the blog is super negotiation for couples and it's four pages which is really good uh, step-by-step process to lead you through what can be negotiated and interestingly enough what cannot be negotiated and even more importantly how to prepare ahead of time to make an effective negotiation Hmm. Great. I can I can already envision enlisting Chloe and doing it experimentally and recording ourselves for the for the podcast so that you can hear us live (laughs) going into negotiating or not something really sensitive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, But I appreciate your sharing that link and we will definitely have a, a link to a direct link to that in the in the transcript and show notes as well. Terrific. And I guess that saves us from having to go through the whole thing here. Yeah, right. Um, one thing that I want to touch on is there's when when people get into relationship and, and Ellen, you mentioned very often, not always, but very often there's that initial falling in love or that that feeling of merging or we're the same or we're we're meant for each other. This is this is perfect. And then the disillusionment happens where you start realizing the person isn't perfect. And and yet towards the end of the developmental process, when you're actually in that place of synergy, I don't think you're going to feel like you're the same again. But 
but you you will feel like a an intense level of intimacy and closeness that in some ways is at least a a variation on the theme of that kind of intimacy that you experience at the very start of your relationship um and i'm i want to bring this up because i feel like so often the struggle for people is wanting to hang on to what they experienced at the very beginning out of fear of moving like that in the differentiation process, they're going to lose each other. How do you keep people connected while they're differentiating? So first of all, one of the ways that I explain this, and I I think it, it's a visual that people really get is, um, you know, you know, the disco balls that have mirrors all around them. Yes. Okay. So I, I keep a disco ball in my office and, or, and what I say is a disco ball represents each person and all the mirrors on the ball are different facets of yourself. And when you two met and fall, fell in love, the disco ball mirrors that were facing each other or were setting each other off and you were falling in love and all the brain chemicals got going are those places where you really felt like you were the same, like you were uh, meant for each other, like everything was just perfect. Well, because everybody has so many different facets of themselves, it's inevitable that those balls are going to spin. And there's going to be a period in which the ones that are facing each other are actually the ones where you don't get along so well or you're not the same and where you have growth that needs to take place in order to keep the connection over time, the balls are going to continue to spin and you will learn things that will deepen your connection. And actually the kind of intimacy that most couples experience when they get to the other side of that is a kind of intimacy that feels more real and more grounded than that super exciting temporary psychosis that went on at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the disco ball isn't terribly effective when it just stays in one place. Like, it needs to spin exactly. for... Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Um, and I can... And it, you know, in a relationship needs juice. It needs energy. And some of that energy comes from the differences and as well as from the similarities. So I, I suggest that you, at home, you pick your favorite disco tune and you can hum it to yourself yeah. <laughs> when <laughs> when you're in a moment of uncertainty about the direction that you're headed. I'm, I'm already getting. It might be the night fever. We know how to go. <laughs> um, and how and so there's that reassurance that you're you're headed towards that place. And yet it can feel really scary to to Absolutely. give to grant freedom or to take freedom, let's say, to take that independence. Um, and is there a specific way that you encourage people to do that, um, to, to enter into that required process, but to, but to maintain an awareness of the other person's heart and how they're, how they're affecting them, but not See, in a way that leads to codependence? That question, Neil, brings us full circle back to where we started. Instead of saying, here's how you do it, or here's the way to do it, it's like, what are what is your motivation for doing it? What are the advantages for put? Why would you put forth the effort? Why would you, 
take the emotional risk? Why would you take the sustained effort to bring that about? And then we can talk about how to do it. But let's first talk about the why you would be willing to do it. And it's the why that gives us the motivation to do the work. Pete, yeah. I think though some of the stuff that you've been doing lately around couples as a team also is part of an answer to Neil's question. Totally. Uh, because we first have to identify where we get stuck, where the pain is, and that's easy for couples to do. Here's where I get triggered. When my partner does X, this is what happens, and I get triggered. And I say, great, let's look at, at what you feel, think, uh, when you get triggered and they go, oh, that's easy to do. Now I will say, let's shift because we have to shift from where you are in that emotional brain, that lizard brain reflex, that self-protection. And let's talk about how you aspire to be instead. If you come from your higher self, your transformative self, your better self, what would that look like? And instead of responding from a defensive, blaming, accusatory, withdrawing place, what would be a better way of responding? And then most of the time people can say, well, it would, I'd be better if I was calmer, if I was curious, if I was a little more compassionate, if I was a better listener. And then here's, a, I say the key question, which is why would you be willing to make the effort to go to that future focus, that forward focus? Why would you be willing to do that? And then that gets us to all the benefits for change. And people only change for three reasons to avoid a greater pain for the benefits involved or the rewards involved, and to live more within our integrity about how we aspire to be. So we talk about why they would be willing to make the effort. And then I'll say, when you get stuck, when you get triggered, I want you to like clasp your hands together and squeeze. And that will, first of all, distract you from being looping in that that emotional lizard brain response and then think about how you would aspire to be and why you would change and be that way and when your partner sees you clasping your hands that's a signal to your partner that you are struggling to change your response and come from your better self and then your partner will say to you oh thank you i appreciate your willingness to try to avoid going into that old place and do something different. I really appreciate that. What can I do to help that? What can I say or what can I do right now that would be helpful? I say, when you guys do that, now you're working together as a team. Mm, perfect. And that, and that being the whole goal is recognizing that even as you progress through these stages of togetherness leading into greater independence, leading back to, to greater interdependence, that you're you're on the same you're on the same team with each other you're you're not yes. out to get each other you're you've got each other's back and you can help exactly. each other through that process exactly well pete pearson and ellen bader it's been a treat to have you on the show again just like the first time around i wish i had read your book in quest of the mythical mate years ago but i'm so thrilled that i read it now i would say it's required reading for any couples therapist out there and you're doing a lot of work training couples therapists as well as work helping lay people do, just do better in relationships through your work at the Couples Institute. And just a reminder that you can get all of the relevant links and a detailed transcript of today's episode if you visit neilsatin.com slash development 
or simply text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. Thank you again for being with us here today, and I'll make sure we have links to your website so people can find your work. And I just want to say how grateful I am for the work you're doing in the world and for your willingness to come and and share it with us here on Relationship Alive. We could talk more and, and hopefully we'll get that chance again sometime soon. Thank And thank you, Neil, so much for what you're doing to bring the message to the people out there. My pleasure. Thank you, Neil. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And um, I also will mention that I'm going to be doing a kind of a free online workshop between August 13th and 25th. So if any of your listeners want to participate in that, I can send you a link for that as well. That would be great. And I can actually send that out to my mailing list as well um, so oh, that, that people be- can find out about it that way. Thank you, Neil. Fantastic. Yeah, that would be great. Absolutely. Well, we'll be in touch about that. And uh, always great to, to talk to you guys. Take care. You too. Bye-bye, Neil. Bye. And now I want to take you out with the full song that was created by uh, an artist on Songfinch named The Boy Jones. Uh, He wrote this song, Dance Across the Room, uh, for me and Chloe on our anniversary. So uh, take it away, Boy Jones. I just wanna hold your
Now all I wanna do 